cliffcentral.com We're going to cry, laugh, and love. And we're going to do it together. The Life with Libang podcast. Welcome to the show. This is obviously Life with Libang and I'm Libang Khosana and this is the first time we're actually talking. It is. Which is weird because I feel like by now we should have long been, you know, right? talking. Yeah, but I have a feeling it's going to be a great part. Nah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think let's <laughs> let's make this a let's make this a real thing. Let's yeah. make this a, a forever thing. So, mm-hmm. if you're listening at home right now and you're wondering who this nice sweet voice that's coming from the other side is, I am in studio with a guest today who I am so keen to be chatting to because her content is literally right up my alley number mm-hmm. one and it seems like we're aligned in the things that we believe in like mm. a lot of the stuff that you do on instagram i'm like right? right i'm sitting there by myself going that girl is right yeah that's exactly it mm-hmm. so i guess the purpose of this conversation is just for us to take it a step further get to know who you are mm-hmm. um obviously introduce you to the people that listen to life with Lebang and uh Align, you know, just right. align. So, um, I'm very excited today. I am sitting in studio with uh, Alisa Pake, and she is. She's. Can I call you a powerhouse? I mean, you, I guess. <laughs> I mean, is is powerhouse the word for to describe what you do? I mean, you're educated. You have freaking XP in an in an array of fields. You were also a finalist in Miss South Africa. So on top of all of that good stuff, you're stunning. But the thing that I like the most is your NGO is NGO nonprofit organization yes. called Set in Motion. Mm-hmm. And that's where you help parents and caregivers, um Anybody that's engaging with a child, you help them to learn how to protect their children from sexual abuse through open and honest conversations, which is something that is extremely overlooked. It is. Not only in South Africa, but globally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the statistics that we come across that have direct links to child abuse and in a in a different sphere, GBV, all have a direct link to what happens at you know in the younger formative years so i'm not here to do the talking today you are okay so straight off the bat what is it about set in motion that tickles your fancy mm-hmm. what is it that made you say you know what i need to start this organization it's key and you know what's what's a day what's just a, what's an average day as the owner of set in motion like for you yeah um i think the main inspiration behind Set in Motion was definitely me becoming a mom. Sure. I'm a mother to a wonderful 20 month old um, baby boy. 20 months. In years. So, that is, <laughs> I know people don't like it when you say 20 months, but until he turns two, we're yeah. sticking to the month. So he's um, one year, eight months. Moms do this all the time. We do. We take our children and we put it in months. Like, oh, and it makes sense for the first, for me, for the first year, it makes sense. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, my child is four years old. They, uh, however, six months, months, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, (laughs) what's going on? No, before I I became a mom, I was also like, I'm never going to say months. I'm just going to say if my child is one, he's one. Now you get Um, it. But there's a lot of things you get once you actually become a parent. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, yeah, the major inspiration behind Set in Motion was, um, my son, or rather, let me say what Set, Set in Motion is right now. Yeah, let's start there. So, I actually 
started the initiative in 2020. Yeah. I think late 2019, 2020. And at the time, I was completing my honors degree and I wasn't a mom as yet. Yeah. And I've always been very passionate about young people. So it was initially going to be a youth-based organization. Cool. And then um, late 2020, I fell pregnant with my son. Uh-huh. And Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I fell pregnant with my son. And I think my perspective on life changed from sure, that moment. Sure. And um, it's actually going to be the first time I speak about this openly. I, I had a live interview a couple of weeks ago, and my husband was obviously listening on the other side and also yeah. the interview he was like babe you really need to be a bit more open about what really inspired set in motion like sure you've gotten to a point where you've done a lot of work a lot of healing you've started this initiative which for me was a major achievement because mm. i was I'm, i think i've always struggled with like putting myself out there okay but when i eventually launched set in motion it was such a defining moment for me mm. and aside from my son but another reason why set in motion is so important to me is because as a child i went through the very thing oh, no. that i am now teaching other parents mm. to look out for you mm. know and the reason why it was so difficult for me to open up and talk about it for so many years is because to date, my own family has, we haven't really spoken about it sure. that much, yeah. you know? And it's crazy because childhood sexual abuse is so common and mm. yet it's the one thing that, like you said earlier on, that is so overlooked. It is. Um, so set in motion is, it's, it's, it's dear to my heart. Um, I, I know it's some of the things I talk about, they are very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Sure. <laughs> so I was telling my husband the other day, I'm like, babe, it's almost six months since I launched and I'm only now like reaching about a thousand followers on my platform. Mm. And I was like, I don't understand why, like I'm producing quality content. Mm. And he said, it's because it's not an easily digestible platform. It sure. is a trigger for a lot of for people. so many people, yeah. Right? Because then on my Instagram page, you know, it shows like how many people you've reached on your account. Yeah. I would see like 10,000 people have visited my page. Yeah. But the following is not really translating to that. Yeah. And I think then my perspective changed and I said, you know what? It's not so much about the numbers, but about the people that this message is reaching. It's reaching, yeah. And if I have, like, even if it's just one person a day that comes to just watch yeah, a video. It's enough. But it's planted like a seed in their, in their head and they'll come back, mm, you know. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, my son and obviously my own personal experiences have sure. been a major driving force behind Set in Motion. So, I always say that your personal experiences mm-hmm. is is and should be a testimony mm-hmm. for other people. So if you um, are wondering why you yeah. or why this is happening to you, and mm-hmm. this goes for any experience, if you're wondering why you are the person that was chosen to suffer this pain and experience what you're experiencing, I always say to to people that the answer has to be, that you come out of that a better, stronger person mm-hmm. so that the next person has guidance on how to deal with their experience. Exactly. It's people like you who are willing to speak up about what they went through mm-hmm. and how they dealt with it mm-hmm. that is going to empower young kids out there who are currently experiencing it. 
if there's somebody out there right now who's listening and this is triggering mm-hmm. and they've just been holding the story in their hearts for all these years because or when I told my family, they told me I was lying or they wanted to protect dad or my mm-hmm. or whoever the person is. It's very difficult to easily just speak up about something, but it's people like you, Balisa, yeah. who encourage them to, to say, you know what? If she can do it after all these years, who am I? I can do it. Let me get up there. Let me go open a case. Let me share my story. Mm-mm. And the world is just a sucky place. That we can't do much about, but what we can do and what we can control is how we choose to live in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry that you had to go through that. It's it's, nobody deserves that, but you got through it. You're here today Mm -hmm. and you've created this beautiful organization Mm -hmm. to empower the people that are experiencing it and will essentially need help and to inform parents on how to deal with these kinds of things. Because as parents, it's, you don't want that to happen to your child. No one does. It's, you know, we're all about positive parenting here at Life with mm-hmm. Lebang. We're pushing, we're changing the narrative. We are, <clears throat> we're, we're encouraging parents to be more present mm-hmm. so that in a case where their child is trying to communicate something to them, like mommy, daddy, this and that is happening. We can be aware of those sorts of things, but there's also boundaries mm-hmm. that come into play. Right. It's all very layered. Mm-hmm. So, how do you ensure that there, how do we, firstly, how do we identify boundaries with, uh, between a child and parent relationship? And I want to take it a step further and ask particularly within the African context, mm-hmm. because as a black mom and somebody who grew up being raised by a black mom, mm-hmm. boundaries is, is not a real thing. No. In fact, just last year I had a fight with my mom and I said, I need boundaries. And the first thing she said is, what are those? Mm. You're making up words again. Like she doesn't want to understand the concept of mm. a line, right. you know, like she wants all the access and sure as a mom, do your thing, but nah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a mom now. So I'm like, I understand that my kids also should have boundaries. So can you just unpack that concept for me? You know, even though your child is still very young, what are some of the boundaries that you, you know, have set for the two of you? Yeah. I think the first thing that's very important to note um, is that children are human beings that deserve to be mm. respected. Sure. I think when my mindset shifted and I realized that, yes, my son, he's, he's my child. You know, I brought him into the world, as we like to say. But, um, f- for example, like with me being a Christian woman, my understanding again changed when I realized that my son was given to me to guide and to raise, but he doesn't belong, belong to me. Yes. So he's not my property. Sure. You know? Sure. Which is what I think with how a lot of us were raised, that's that was sort of like the 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 the, the vibe that our parents gave to us or the parents that we got, that um, the vibe that we got that our parents own us, whatever they say goes, I can't have my boundaries, I can't say no, I don't want to hug this person, I can't say no, I'm not comfortable with A, B, and C, I sort of just have to go with whatever mom or dad say. And then that later translates into your adult life where you aren't able to withhold your own boundaries, right? Um, it translates into your adulthood where um, you have been violated, but you aren't able to process your emotions in a healthy way where you're actually able to realize that, no, this was wrong and this is what needs to be done so with my son he's only 20 months well he's only a year right now (laughs) i mean (laughs) 
one year, eight months. For those of you the, listening who just whipped out your calculator, it's one year, eight months. The look you just gave me, like, mm, you know um, why? You know why I do that? Because I've got five kids. So yeah. there's times where I'm in that phase now of mixing up their names, mm-hmm. and when I'm calling the one, I'm actually calling the other. It's it's getting messy. But the ages is worse. Yeah. Like if someone says, "Oh, your child is so cute. How old are they?" I have to literally stop, and take think. out my fingers, start counting. <laughs> so, whoo. <laughs> anyway, I get you. Um, so with my son, how um, my husband and I are implementing boundaries right now is we actually ask him if he wants a hug or a kiss. And okay. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult to resist when he actually shows you that he doesn't want sure. to give a hug or a kiss. It's sure. very, very difficult to resist. But we try to um, respect that boundary as much as we can. Um, and also with how he interacts with strangers or family members. Mm. One thing I've noticed, and I actually saw this yesterday <coughs> as well, I took him out to the park and there was a um, a man around, like on the state where we stay, that normally sees him. And my son would like sort of greet him and smile at him. So yesterday, this this man just walked up to my son and tried to pick him up. But you could mm. see that my son was clearly uncomfortable. Sure. So in that moment, it was actually difficult for me to say, no, he doesn't want to be held. Like, exactly. just give him a moment first. But yeah. I had to overcome that Anxiety that I had or that discomfort that I had, you know. So it's also in things like that where right now he's obviously not able to fully articulate himself, but Mm. he is communicating through body language. Of course. As well, you know. So it's also being present and being aware of such things. Um, it's also, I mean, with family, it's been difficult to sort of explain those boundaries because when, Ugogo comes, she just wants to give hugs and kisses and sometimes my son just doesn't want to. Like I don't and feel then, like it, granny. Yeah. And so now you kind of have to be the bad cop and say, no, he doesn't want to hug or a kiss. And mm. for the older generation, they don't understand. Like to them, it's what do you mean? Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, so those are just some of the things that, that we are doing. Um, but I think the biggest thing right now because of his age is in the morning, I ask him, can I give you a hug? Can I give you a kiss? Mm, Sometimes mm. he'll give me a kiss and it's really sweet. And other times he won't. And I'll say to him, it's okay, baby. How about a high five? If he doesn't want to give me a high five, I'm like, no, it's fine. How did you sleep? Mm. You know, so I also don't guilt trip him into um, giving me or anyone else any kind of affection. I think that's so important. And and, and listening to you talk, Balisa, I am literally envisioning Abu Malu, man, Abu Koko. Like misunderstanding exactly. and misinterpreting all of this because obviously Ubuntu and mm-hmm. you know it takes a village to raise a child and all these really good things that we grew up believing. But again, because of boundaries, it's easy to misconstrue that and say, Oh, so your child doesn't want to give me a hug. Mm-hmm. It means your child doesn't, you know, want to feel that and I can just see the older generation getting upset at something that simple. And you know what's crazy about that? About 93% of um, childhood sexual abuse cases yeah. are normally done by a perpetrator that the child already knows and trusts. It's in the house. So yeah. we yeah. kind of have it twisted. We teach our children to be careful of strangers. You mm. know, if, we, if we're at a mall, you tell your child, no, if someone wants to hold your hand or pick you up, mm. you should tell them no. Mm. And then we get home and Umalume comes and we're like, no, if Malume comes and he wants to give you a hug, or a kiss, you have to comply. Uh, and yet, most cases, 
we're enabling umalume. We're enabling umalume. Mm. And now the child also becomes confused because say umalume does something to the child. Mm. They aren't able to understand or even process whether or not what malume is doing is right or wrong. Exactly. Because mommy and daddy said it's fine. Umalu- yeah, when it comes to family, yes. I actually have to comply with family. Yes. So malume is touching me and doing all these things. So maybe I should be complying because that's what mom and sure. dad taught me. This is so but messy. Then, exactly. But then mom and dad teach me... <laughs> We are more worried about strangers. We should be worried about inside. The danger is in the household. In the household. Exactly. I I remember during the COVID period, seeing some of those statistics come come out. Yeah. um, After that, just just that lockdown period where our kids were no longer going to school physically. They were then staying in the household, but the parents were still leaving the household to go to work. Mm -hmm. So the kids were either left at home alone or they were left at home to be looked after by the neighbor or someone on the street. And these are the very perpetrators mm-hmm. that took advantage of that situation. And how many teenage, and in inverted commas, teenage pregnancies in South, in, in South Africa alone. Mm-hmm. That number was like 20 something thousand. There crazy. was girls as young as 10 years old mm-hmm. who had fallen pregnant mm. during that COVID period. Why? Because they were no longer going to school. They were now at home being looked after by these trusted family members exactly. who I guess there's like a level of naivety from the parents' perspective where we automatically trust this adult to look after our child in the way that we would, not realizing that they, if they don't have kids, they, they're not really going to get it. They're not really no. going to understand. And nobody's going to raise your child like you will. No one. There's not a single person on this planet, not even your parents, not even your, your entrusted guardian. Exactly. Only you can raise your child in the best way possible because mm-hmm. that is your child yeah. and not from an ownership perspective, but from a protection perspective Which and is from yours. a care mm. perspective, you know? Exactly. So it's, it's very messy and very contradictory mm-hmm. um, with regards to how we were raised and what we're told to believe versus what's actually happening Tell out me. there. And then there's the unfortunate layer of the discovery mm. where if you're lucky enough and your child is able to speak and communicate and share that, hey, this and such and such a thing is happening. Right back to positive parenting. You as the parent, what do you do with that information? Yeah. What do you do with that knowledge? Do you say, okay, cool, my child, let's go sort this out. Go to the cops, open a case, make sure that the perpetrator justice gets served. Or do you sit them down and say, hey, you know, but what mm. if we tell them what's going on in this yeah. household is tunzi. What, what, what? The family name is more important. We can't let the truth be revealed. And that happens more often than, than one would even like to believe. Yeah. It's scary. And it's not even just an African thing. No, Globally, it happens. a lot of cultures would rather protect the perpetrator than get justice and protect their child. Yeah. So there's also the psychological effects of that. Yeah. So in my case, um, when my rape happened, it happened at a crash. Oh my God. Um, which is obviously the last place you would ever, ever think that your child would be violated. So like I said, I grew up in a, in a small town in the free state and my mom was a single parent. Mm. So she was raising myself and my older brother. Yeah. And she took me to a crash just down the street. You know, those like mm. people Mang-mangs. who turn their houses yes. and they turn them into a crash. Yes. And um, that's where it happened. And I got home and I was clearly in discomfort, mm. right? And I'm trying to explain to my mom that, listen, I'm in pain. Mm. I couldn't 
understand what had happened, but mm. I was articulating to her that I am uncomfortable. Mm. And it took my mom a couple of hours for her to actually sit down and say, okay, show me what is happening. Mm. And obviously when she assessed me, she realized that I had bruising and all of mm. these things. Mm. And then the next day, um, I she we went back to the same crash where it happened. Yeah. And I think what had happened that day was sort of like a second violation for me mm. because we got to the crash and my mom was like, Listen, this is what my daughter's saying happened and you can clearly see mm. that because I think I was like up. four, four or five oh at the God. time. And they made me, they took me to this room, they made me lie in the bed and I had about four grown women just looking, trying to see if what I was saying was true or not. And I don't really remember exactly what, how my mom was at the time, but I do remember that she took me back there the next day. Mm. And then I think a couple of weeks later, I was moved to a new crash. Mm. And that was that. It was never spoken about again. Oh my God. I never got any kind of counseling or therapy, mm. nothing. And then this, um, man who did this actually ended up, I was playing outside at my house and I remember him coming over and he stood by the gate and he literally threatened me and said, you do not talk about this again, you know? Um, and I remember just running back into the house and I was scared, but I of didn't course. tell anyone because mm. already after it happened, no one actually sat me down to say, mm. you know, we're so sorry that this happened. We mm. believe you. I think I needed to hear that, mm, that someone believes you. someone, someone believes you. Yeah. So what that taught me is um number one it's always very important to believe your child yeah. and your ch it's not enough to teach your child about consent and boundaries mm. you also need to teach your child that if something does happen to them it's not their fault yeah, yeah. if something happens to them they should be able to come to you and you'll believe them and yeah. you'll help them out you know because it took me years i I I think my husband was the first person I spoke to about this, like not even with my own family. Oh man! And um, also when I, I started I started therapy when I was pregnant, and yeah. that's when I actually started to process yeah. what had happened. And yeah. at that time, it's like years, what almost twenty years after it's happened, yeah. of which it didn't have to happen that way. It didn't. And I think it also affected a lot of how I viewed um, relationships. Of course. Right? Of course. Um, even down to intimacy. It's only now where I'm actually fully starting to understand the beauty of what intimacy is. Yeah. But from that one experience, yeah. like my mind just, you know, I obviously couldn't process what sure, had happened. Sure. So I think if there's any parent out there or any caregiver listening, you know, it's so important to like I said number one believe your child yeah. and it's not only you can't just teach them that A, B and C is not supposed to happen you're supposed to teach them as well that if it does happen it's not your fault it's if it does happen fault. mommy, daddy, uncle, aunt whoever you are will believe you and will help you out yeah mm. jeez dog that is that is so much um, and just yeah. so it's so sad and so unfortunate no what four-year-old is going to know how to process that? Exactly. It's there's certain activities that shouldn't occur to, like f at a certain age because your brain is just not at that point mm -hmm. where it is ready to fully understand what is going on and mm -hmm. what this thing is. And it has a knock-on effect on almost everything that you experience, especially when it comes to people of, of the opposite sex, when mm -hmm. it comes to intimacy as a concept, mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships. 
And imagine not, not even having like a consistent male figure, a mm-hmm. positive male influence in your life that it just shrouds the whole thinking. Yeah. And like you're saying, it didn't need to take that long. It didn't have to, because then what happened about four years later, then my mom passed. Oh no. So it was, my brother was 21 at the time and I was nine. So it was about five years after oh, it happened. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so then I was raised by my brother mm. who obviously, I mean, the, with the way my mom handled the situation, mm. um, he obviously also wasn't in the best place emotionally How is or he mentally. Know? How right? is he going to know what to do? Exactly. If like he, he saw your mom raise you in a certain way, yeah, now he'll do what he saw. And he was probably also raised the same way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And this is not to say that like I blame my mom. I think my mom... You know how they say your parents, um, they do the best that they can with what they know? Sure, sure. I think I think subconsciously I had been angry at my mom for a couple of years, even though she wasn't around. Yeah. I think I was very angry at her because of that one incident that happened. Mm. But I think my healing began when I realized that she really did the best that she could. Mm. I had to sort of sit down and look at the circumstances that she was under at the time, yeah. being a single mom, not really having that much support, support. even from extended families. Sure. And she took me out of the school, of which is something I can say I appreciate. At least that shows that you could at least see that something, something was, wrong, was wrong. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But me recognizing that my mom really did the best that she could with what she knew mm. and the strength that she had, mm. it was so healing for me. Good. It was so healing for Good. me, and I think um, that's also why. I even thought about, you know, starting this initiative because Mm. like I said, it was initially going to be a youth-based development program. Mm. Mm. But when I felt pregnant, I really felt like God was tugging at my heart to say, just take a different direction for now. Mm. You know, this is Mm. something that happens so much in our homes and someone needs to start the conversation. And look, it's, it's the conversation is it's already happening, but it's just not loud enough. Yeah. And that is why I can appreciate a platform like Life with Lebang. Mm-hmm. This is what we want to do here. We want these messages to reach as many people as possible, to help as many people as possible, to know that it doesn't need to take that long. It doesn't have to be 20 years of silence and exactly. no solving and no case closing and no closure mm-hmm. for you to begin the healing process. The healing process can begin right there and then. But as a child... The parent is the one that needs to take the initiative and knowing the generation that our parents, you know, are coming from, they had very, very little access to information and guidance and care. They probably didn't even know where to start. Like I can't imagine I've got three daughters and just the thought of them going to school and coming back and having been violated would absolutely encourage me to buy a gun mm-hmm. and go and shoot every single person at that school. Exactly. Just the, I, just the thought. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what that must have been like for your mother. Exactly. Where, it's like very limited, yeah. you know, which is again, not to make an excuse, but it's very brave of you mm-hmm. to now look at it from her lens mm-hmm. and try to understand why that was possibly Part of her reason for responding in the way that she did. She did. And maybe she had been through the same thing. Exactly. And so when it then happens to your child, it can be so crippling. (sighs) That's like triple whammy trauma. Exactly. It can be so triggering. So 
I don't think it would be fair for me even today to blame my mom and point fingers at her. Mm. Of course, I do wish that things would have turned out differently. Yeah. But I don't even know what I would do in that situation. It's really one of those situations where until you're in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like being a parent. There's a lot of things. My child is not going to watch TV until they two. Ooh. I'm not going to give my child any sweets until they're a certain age. And then I'm looking back. I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing those exact things that I said I wouldn't do. Dude. Because it's very different when you're in it. Mm, it's easy to, to point from the outside looking in and judge a situation and say, Oh, my word. I'd never do that. Mm-hmm. Why did it? Having a child changes your entire life in the same way that your body is restructuring and breaking itself again to accommodate this tiny human. It's the same way your mind and your soul are restructuring to make room for this whole other being that you're about to be responsible for forever. Mm -hmm. It is a huge task and it's a huge blessing as well because, Mm -hmm. again, you are single-handedly responsible for how this person's going to grow up, the environment that they grow up in, how they view the world. You can either make their lives so joyous mm-hmm. or you can do the opposite. The total opposite. The was, total opposite. I was listening to a podcast this morning and um, there was a parenting as, um, expert mm. and she said a lot of people think that your child comes into your life to save you, mm. but they actually come into your life to provoke you. Oof. Bars. And I was like, mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> and I see this in like when my son throws a tantrum. You mm. know, before he was born, I was reading all these parenting books. Mm. You know, when your child throws a tantrum, go down to their level, take a deep breath, speak. And I have found myself reacting in the complete opposite, opposite. way of that. <laughs> <laughs> in the complete opposite way of that. And I had to ask myself, like, why? Why does the way that he behaves... Mm. Um, of which he should be. He's doing mm. what he should be He's doing at his age. Yes, right? yes. Um, why does it trigger me so much? Mm. And I realize that it's because through him, I can see the little child in me, the little yes. girl in me yes. is is reacting to this tantrum that he's throwing yeah. and how I react to the tantrums that he throws can also reflect how my tantrums were handled yes. as a child, yes. whether or not I got that empathy, mm. you know, mm. whether or not, my mom or my dad, they saw me mm. like as just a real human with like real, real emotions. Feelings. Because when you are sure. two or three years old throwing a tantrum in a toy store, it's valid. Mm. Those are very valid emotions. That's all you know what to do. That's it. You don't have the vocabulary to explain why you're feeling the way you're feeling. You've all you have is the tears and the throwing things and the rolling on the I completely get you, but also in those situations, it's a glimpse into how you were raised and how you were were almost like how you responded yeah. to similar situations. So it's definitely scary in that, damn, this is how I was raised. Did I like it? Mm-hmm. If I liked it, is it okay for me to raise my kids like this? Mm-hmm. Or should I reassess yeah. and unlearn certain things so that I can give my kids better, you know, processes mm-hmm. in, in being themselves? How do you parents and still encourage your kids to to know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I had a guest a couple of weeks ago who was like, if your kids are crying, let your kids cry, bro. Mm. She was saying she doesn't carry tissues around. When her kids cry, she lets them finish. She doesn't try to stop them. She doesn't say stop crying. Yeah. And I'm in a situation where, man, I was always told to stop crying. Mm. Like at every, if a teardrop came down my, my face, 
Whether it was for an injury in sports or for sure. being shouted at at school, I was always told to stop crying. More so why big girls don't cry in inverted mm. commas. So I found myself for the first maybe three years, two years of my first daughter's life. That was, that was the energy. Don't cry, Nana. Big mm. girls don't cry. Mm. Da, 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 da. Sure. And then after listening to, after having that conversation, I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I should try something else. Yeah. Let me give her the room mm-hmm. to finish. Let her ex- feel every single emotion. Let her express herself in every single, single way she knows, she knows how. And that includes tantrums. Yeah. And then I realized that this parenting thing is an ongoing journey. You're always <laughs> learning things. And because, you know, you have one child, I've got five. Mm-hmm. All my kids are different. Sure. So one child, I can be like, Fully understanding, sit down with them and do you want to hug? Blah, blah, blah. The other one just wants straight up attention. So I know if I say, do you want to hug? I'm just being manipulated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it boils down to knowing your child mm-hmm. as well, right to the core mm-hmm. because kids are all different. They have individual personalities. So yeah. I just want parents to know not to feel too pressurized. Like we're all, we're all learning mm-hmm. and we're all growing every day. The mother that I was when I only had one kid, seven years ago is completely different to the mother that Which I am today. today. I read all the books. I asked all the questions. Why is it, why is it about research? Yeah. I knew it all. <laughs> I knew it all, honey. And then when my child arrived, I almost automatically fell into responding to my child, how I was raised. Yeah. That's what we do. Whether it was, it worked for us or not. Mm. It's almost like a natural thing. We just go into how we, we were ro- raised and brought up without thinking, Shit, maybe I should fix myself first. Yeah. Let me get my shit together. Let me do all the healing so I can be a better parent. Yeah. So I, I love that you said that. Um, you know, they, I, though parenting books, I think they're so important. Yeah. And obviously platforms like um, Life with LeBang, they are so important. Um, at the same time, I think it can be so easy to fall into this um, uh must do, don't do, must do, don't do, you know, and it can make you such an anxious parent. The do's and don'ts of parenting. Yeah. Mm. It can make you, it can turn you to a very anxious parent because at the end of the day, there isn't always like a, it's not always black and white. It's not black and white. Right. It's all just a gray area. Yeah. One massive gray area. Exactly. So I think sometimes with all the information that's out there, it can make a lot of people feel anxious. It can make Mm. you feel like you're a terrible parent because you shouted at your child the day before. Mm. But like you said, parenting is literally an ongoing journey. Like it doesn't just stop when your child turns 18 or even when they get married because now your son or your daughter, they are married and now you need to learn how to interact with them as someone's wife. Mm. Right. Right? Mm. Then you need mm. to learn how to interact with them as someone's mother. Sure. Because it's not going to be the same way mm. as how you did when they were 10. Exactly. So it's literally an ongoing process because your child is also constantly changing. Yes. The same way you are constantly changing. Yes. And so leaving room for your child to change as well is so important. Sure. And also leaving room for yourself as the parent to make those mistakes. Yeah. Is so important. Yeah. One thing that I have learned is... Um, so over the last few weeks, my son has just been fighting his sleep. I don't know what's going on. It literally takes us like an hour, hour Ooh. and a half to get him to sleep. Oh, man. And there was a day where I found myself so frustrated because I was exhausted mm. and I had other things to do as well. <laughs> like mama's got a life. <laughs> yeah. So I found myself very frustrated mm. and I shouted at him. I was like, you know, just stop it. Go mm. to sleep, mm. you know. And he gave me this look like... 
what is going on mm. you know mm. and oh man it just breaks your heart in that moment where you know yeah. you're like oh man i, I lost have. it yeah but you're but human Alisa, human. you are human exactly so mm. in that moment i just apologized yes, to him i yes. mean he might not understand what i said sure. but i'm already sort of building the foundation for as he gets older i need to be able to say i'm sorry definitely see that you see that one that's yeah. a a conversation we can spend talking about for hours <laughs> why is it so difficult for our parents just to apologize to us if they've done something wrong yeah it's okay like we're, you're also human mm. you know like having like growing up we sometimes don't stop to think that it's also a, the first time that our parents are being parents mm-hmm. we kind of just expect them to always know what they're doing and have their shit together only when sure. you become a parent mm. you're like damn these niggas were just winging it they were they did their best that they could. They, they, yeah. they were just doing what they could with mm. all that they had. And so am I. And mm. then you start to view them differently. Yeah. And you start to view th- see them in the lens of person first and then parent. And it's in that place where you start to almost like just forgive them without them even apologizing. Right. Because chances are you might not even ever hear a sorry. And the sooner that you can accept that, the better, the better. Mm. So you can go on with your life. Otherwise you'll be waiting for something that's <laughs> not going to happen. Like uh, parents aren't interested in saying, sorry, like in, yeah. in my big age, like I've been like in situations, I'm like, come on, you know, you're wrong. Say it. Just say it. Say the S word, bro. Yeah. Just say it. And they're like, what? Salvation? Salut- <laughs> s- salutations? They just don't know how. Yeah. But for my own good. I just forgive them because I'm like, it's not your fault. Mm. Like I can't control it. So let's speak a little bit about these tantrums because obviously these are how our children are communicating to us all the time. This is how we relate to them as parents. And this is a better way of understanding how our kids react to certain things. But sometimes kids can take it to another level where, for example, they completely like ignore you. I know Mm -hmm. my son is guilty of this, where if we're not on the same page for whatever reason, and I've just shouted at him because maybe he hasn't done his homework and he said that he did, he will ignore me. And give me silent treatment yeah. as if I'm the one that didn't do my homework. <laughs> and it hurts because I'm like, how, bro? What's going on? So where do I start in that kind of situation? How do I better manage, you know, this 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 thing? Because I can see for him it's like a fulfilling thing. He feels like he's in charge and, you know, like, mm, I'm in control. Yeah, you're not going to talk to me. I. But he also needs to understand that I'm his parent at the end of the day. You are living in my house. You yeah. are eating my food. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do I better manage that kind of situation where... This tantrum is is now tantruming too much. Yeah. Mm. I like that you said, you mentioned the word control. Yeah. Right? Um, you kind of have to put yourself in a, in your child's shoes sometimes, or your children's shoes sometimes. We're sure. always telling them what to do. Wear this. Don't wear that. Eat this. Don't eat that. Yeah. Use this. No, no, no. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. So sometimes... Tantrums are definitely a result of your child just wanting to have some kind of control mm, over mm, their life, mm, over their time, mm, over their anatomy, yeah. you know, because <laughs> we're always telling them what to do, you know. So I think um, the first step is recognizing that tantrums are very normal. Sure. Tantrums are healthy. Tantrums show development. It does. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I'm sure you know that 
um, the, your child's brain develops the mm. most. Seven, uh, no, I think it's about 75% of your child's brain is developed in by age five. Yeah, it's already done. Er, yeah. yeah, it's done. Mm. So at that time, they're also learning how to process emotions. Mm. They're learning how to process feeling like feelings like anger, frustration, mm. annoyance. So there's a certain part of their brain that's not fully developed. So when that emotion comes up, mm. it comes out as a tantrum. Sure. And so your responsibility as the parent is to go down to their level mm. and number one, to validate mm. whatever emotion that they're feeling. Mm. So like you said, when you would cry as a child, you'd, you'd be told, stop crying. Mm. Big mm. girls don't cry. Yeah. Your feelings were invalidated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's like now as an adult, um, you imagine you're telling a friend that, Hey, you know, such and such happened and I'm feeling so sad. And your friend is like, no, you're not. What do you mean? Sway? You're going to be like, excuse me. Uh, uh, it's going to trigger you. You'll sure. probably be so upset. Sure, right? Sure. So the first thing to do is to validate your child's emotions. This, oh, actually, the first thing is to withhold the boundary. Mm-hmm. So say, um, again, let's use a toy store um, example. You're in yeah. a toy store and you guys are there to buy a, a cousin, a car or mm, a doll like or a whatever birthday present, a birthday yeah. present yeah. and then your child now starts crying for whatever toy that they're seeing in the store you can go down to their level and just say listen i know it's really hard to be in a toy store right now mm. i know you probably want to take all of these toys home mm. however we are not here for you today we are here to get such and such a birthday present mm. how about we take a picture of the specific car that you want and the next time we come we'll see if we can get it for you mm. okay right? i can take that yeah so you've sort of you've withheld the boundary mm. but you've also validated whatever they're feeling. Mm, And a third thing is also just showing empathy of which you can't withhold a boundary um, and validate their emotions without empathy. Yeah, without empathy, for sure. sure. So that's sort of how I look at it now. And also with my son, we are going into the terrible twos. In fact, I think we are in the terrible twos. I don't even like calling it the terrible twos, but we are deep Mm, in the tantrums phase. Sure. So it's constantly myself and my husband... And the nanny just reminding ourselves of where he is developmentally mm. as well. Mm. Um, and that's where I think being a bit proactive as a parent comes in. Definitely. You need to do your research. You need to sort of figure out, like, where is my child? Why does my child behave mm. this way? Mm. You know, it's easy. It's as easy as opening Google and just, and just we'll sort of get like a, a small little explanation. And that on its own can calm you down and give you some kind of empathy as well towards your child and why they're behaving in a certain way. Mm. Um, but like we said earlier, there really isn't a perfect way of handling a tantrum. And it also comes down to your child's temperament. Like you said, you have five kids and they're all so different. Mm. How you would handle one in a tantrum is not how you're hey. going to handle the other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're actually making me realize I need to speak to my nanny. <laughs> like I need to get her like in tune with me and my partner because there's just things that she does that I'd never do. Mm-hmm. And like, we're just not aligned and I don't want to confuse my kids, but even that conversation, cause she's great. She's like really, really good with the kids and mm-hmm. I, I can't do without her. Like we're, we're really, we're, we're tight like that. But how do I explain to a grown woman that dude, I don't want my kids to be raised like this. And it's in the little things. And these are all habitual things. Mm-hmm. Like the things that she says and just like, 
you know, there's words that I'd never say around my kids and suddenly like, they're like, yeah, mom, I'm going to beat you. And I'm like, yeah. excuse me? Where, Where did, did you learn, learn that? that? Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I know this is not, is this YouTube kids? <laughs> baby shark is baby, is Coco Melon teaching you? And yeah. I know it's not. Yeah. It has to be another adult. And she's the only other adult that is engaging with them on this level. So you're making me realize that I should be that intentional. Sit her down and just engage with her and say, bro, we love you. But yeah. this is what the direction that we're trying to go with the kids. And it would be great to have you on board just in the little things. Let's just be more, mm-hmm. more careful um, without coddling. But I think being that intentional, intentional will make the biggest goes, difference yeah. because my partner and I are always on the same page mm-hmm. all the time. It's like, it doesn't matter which parent my kids go to. They know they're going to get the same reaction. Exactly. They can't, they can't play us. No. You know, we've, we've made sure of that, but beautiful. it's important. Mm-hmm. It's so necessary. But now I'm realizing that getting her on board as well, We'll take it to another level. It will. And it's very uncomfortable. Trust me. Yeah. And I don't even understand why is it so uncomfortable for us to give other people instructions about what we want and what we don't want mm. um, with how they interact with our kids. Mm. So my son has um, a nanny. I actually just dropped her off, dropped him off at her house mm. this morning because she's off. Mm. But I obviously needed to be You're here today. Working, yeah. Um and she, a couple of months ago, she started saying, big boys don't cry, ne? Big, big boys don't cry. So I heard it the first time and I was like, hmm. And then I heard it the second time and I spoke to my husband and I said, listen, this is what um, Zoe continues to say to Kumo. And I don't like it because mm. I want him to be very much in tune with his emotions. Sure. I want him to know that boys do cry, cry and it's it okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay for boys to cry. So... I sat her down and I and I said, so um, I know you meant well, mm. you know. I mm. know you 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 didn't say this because you were trying to be malicious. But mm. when Kumo cries, allow him to cry, mm. you know. Um, validate his emotions sure. in that moment. Let him know that boys do cry. Mm. And then I and then I said to her, you've you've seen how closed off a lot of men are you've seen how these men end up becoming abusive Mm. and um, because they they haven't learned how to process their emotions properly Mm. it can come out in a lot of different ways and that's not what we want for Kumo we want him to be able to talk to us and even to talk to you Mm. so let him cry Mm. so I would prefer for you um, to not say Boys don't cry because boys do cry. Boys exactly. should cry. They should. Okay, yeah. well, thank you for that insight because now I know that there's an angle. Yeah. And the angle of making it real for her because she's got like three sons. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's only around like a uh, male figure. So I'm going to, you know, bring that up and say, look, like, you know, what the kind of child that you want to raise in your personal capacity and your children, your sons, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want them to be more in tune with their emotions? And yeah. You're definitely right. It's going to be uncomfortable as hell. It's just very uncomfortable, but also just oh. making it clear that, you know, she doesn't mean, mm. she means well. She does mean well. You know? Love you. Love you, girl. No, you're listening. <laughs> love ya. Love ya. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, Disrespectful behavior from children when it kind of goes just from like a, a little tantrum nyana to now I'm being intentionally mean to my parents because I'm so mad at them or I'm so ABC. 
how does a parent take better responsibility for their child's behavior as the child is growing? And mm-hmm. I guess this is more a question for the set in motion side of things. You know, how would you guys advise that a parent better manages a disrespectful child? Because there's only so much that we can and now I'm scared to use the word control because you're going to call me out. There's only so much that we can have our eye on with regards to what our kids are consuming, what content they're consuming, who they are hanging out with and what they are believing. Mm-hmm. We can only do so much. And uh, it can sometimes get to a point where there's a disconnect. Our kids will believe what they see and hear at school to be real life. They'll see and believe what they consume online to be real life. So much so that what we try and intentionally teach them in the household ends up taking a bit of the back burner, which is unfortunate in most cases. So how do we better manage being ill-treated by our children? Um, You know, disrespected by our children. It happens. Mm -hmm. uh, And I just want to get better at that. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening who also want to get better at that. Mm -hmm. I think the most important question we should be asking is how do we regulate ourselves first? Sure. When your child is showing signs of if they are being disrespectful mm. towards you. Mm. Um, sure, that's a very loaded question. And I think um, what you just made me think of again is the podcast that I was listening to earlier yeah. on. And this lady was speaking about how um, with a lot of children, right, you could find a child who is very compliant. Mm. So they are the type of child to go to a swimming lesson and if you tell them to go with that trainer or that instructor, they'll go with them. Mm. And if you tell them you have to be training for 30 minutes, they're going to train for 30 minutes. They Mm. won't even ask you any questions. If you are that parent, a lot of people are probably looking at you thinking, wow, you're doing an amazing job. You're making the rest of us look bad, Sandra. Such a respectful, sweet child you have. Yeah. But what you... I'm seeing on the other side is that maybe this child has been conditioned to never question authority Mm. at all. Mm. Maybe this child has been taught to not, um, again, be in tune with their own emotions. Maybe. And then on the other side, you could find that there's a parent with a child at the swimming lesson and this child maybe wants to take a couple of minutes just to assess the situation. Mm. They don't specifically want to go with that trainer immediately. They need a moment with mom. Mm. Um, and then other people would look at that parent to say, oh, she's doing such a bad job. Mm. And that parent probably even feels shame mm. that their child is not really going with what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And so let's look 30 years from that time. You have a 30-year-old man or woman who doesn't ask questions, who agrees with everything they're told to do, who doesn't think outside of the box, because when they were a child, they were seen as confident, they were seen as outgoing, Mm. but as an adult, they're just compliant. Mm. And then if you take the child on the opposite side, who asked questions, who Mm. didn't necessarily want to always go with what they were told, Um, they're seen as shy or probably even seen as disrespectful, like you mm, said. Mm. But at 30, you have an adult who's able to stand up for themselves. Sure. You have an adult who's able to speak up. You have sure. an adult who asks questions, mm. you know. So I think it's it's sort of considering things like that. And I think with a lot of people, they think that gentle parenting is permissive parenting. Mm. It's not. It's gentle not. parenting is, like we said, there are three rules that I personally live by, mm. and that's boundaries, 
um, empathy and validation. Okay. So in gentle parenting, you have to withhold the boundaries. Mm. If you told your child, no, you can't go to that sleepover, you can't go to that sleepover. And that's that. I know you probably hate my guts right now and you mm. can't wait to move out when mm. you turn 18. That's mm. okay. But we're going to get through it. We're going to get through this. Mm. You know, I'm just not comfortable with you going to that sleepover mm. or that party. Mm. So, and another thing is when your child is being disrespectful, it's also time for you as a parent to do some self-introspection. Definitely. Why is my child behaving this way? Sure. What is going on? Mm. What are right. they seeing? What are they what exposed are they feeling? to? Mm. What are they experiencing? Mm. Because um, a lot of the times if a child is being bullied at school, they can get home and they can start to show signs of being very disrespectful, very angry. Mm. Um, and... Uh, if a child maybe is being abused, they can also start to show signs of being very short-tempered mm. and so forth. So sometimes it's not just looking at what is happening, but looking behind it. Sure, right? sure. Because there's always, there's always a, every action has a reaction. It does. And a ripple effect. And uh, I, I, started, I started noticing very long time ago with one of my kids that there's definitely something here. Mm. And I knew automatically yeah. where the problem, li- like mm-hmm. where it began mm-hmm. and what the seed was. Yeah. And as he's grown, I'm just seeing it more and more and more. And I'm also seeing that if I just continue to leave it, this thing is going to turn into something ugly. And then I'm going to have a teenager that I can't like, I can't have a, a proper relationship with well, anymore because yeah. I'm just letting this thing grow. And sometimes it's hard yeah. to accept and almost just like be real with yourself. We're in denial a lot of the time as parents. Like, you know, like what? My kid, there's no way. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, it's your kid and that is okay that it's your kid. The best thing you can do is walk them through the journey. It's perfectly okay. Mm. I mean, think about yourself as a teenager. How many mm. times did you go against your parents? Oh, I was wily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good example for this. I was jumping you walls, know? going to parties. I was crazy. Yeah. So I, I know that karma is a real thing. When yeah. I see my kids wild, I'm like, it's fine, God. I knew this was going to happen. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So part of finding freedom in parenting is realizing that your child at the end of the day is still going to make their own decisions. They are. No matter what you teach them, no matter what you show them, mm. they are individuals. Mm. That are finding their own way through life And though you might have birthed that child That child is not your twin The child is not your twin But they they all look like me (laughs) (laughs) I get you And I think we sort of expect children that come from the same household To sort of be to have same. to share the same mm. values to behave in the certain in the same way mm. and they don't i mean already you can see now i mean you are your children are living with you in mm. your house mm. fully dependent on you but they're all so different they're so different it's not even funny right like, one would think they're from different households but exactly you know kids have different experiences and especially different experiences like of their parents yeah. when i look at my myself i'm an, I'm an only girl in the middle of two brothers mm-hmm. got a younger brother and an older brother and we all have completely different personalities, completely different values, yeah. completely different experiences of the same parents mm-hmm. that we were all raised, raised by. by. But 
and I remember I actually did a show on it a couple of uh, months ago as well about why that is so. Mm-hmm. Our parents are our parents at different times because they have us as children at different, different times, times in their lives. Sure. And I see that in my own life. Like when I had my son, I was a lot younger. I was still mm-hmm. in varsity. I was still by myself. I was, you know, just scruffling at life, not even sure what it is I was doing. Now, years later, I've got my three daughters. Um, I've got a commit. I'm in a committed relationship. I'm in a house with this person. I'm building a life with somebody. And these, my daughters are meeting me at a time where I've got my shit more together than I did back then when I had sure. my son. So he's experiencing me completely different than my, mm-hmm. his sisters are. And sometimes that causes a little bit of friction mm-hmm. in the house where, he completely understand misunderstands why they get certain treatment and he maybe gets different treatments and mm. he'll ask me things like, Mom, when I was three, did you buy me ABC? And I'm like, nigga, I didn't have the money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I love you less, it's just because back then, you know, you were my lab rat baby. Mm-hmm. In the same way I was a first time parent when I had you. You know, we were still figuring things out, just the two of us. His dad wasn't around. So I was a single mom for that period of yeah. my life. And now I'm no longer that. I'm more equipped. I've got more resources. I've even got more time mm-hmm. to be more available to him. So it's, 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 it's life. Yeah. And life be like that. So if you've got siblings, you'll know that it's exactly like that. Like the, the younger kids are usually, usually get a softer experience of the parents than mm-hmm. the firstborns. Firstborns, it's a bit more rough or yeah. it's just completely different because nechotata or whatever mm. the case is. But, um, but it's life and the beauty of it is that we can learn from these experiences yeah. and we must always take how we were raised as, I wouldn't say a benchmark, but definitely as a case study, mm-hmm. unpack it, sit down with yourself and say, how did, how did it feel when I got disciplined in such and such a way? How did it feel when my feelings got invalidated or when I was shouted at or when I was allowed to do whatever I wanted? Did that work in my favor now as an adult? Yes mm-hmm. or no? And you can only have those conversations with yourself when you are mature enough yeah. to sit and say, oh man, something's wrong with me. Yeah. And then realizing something's wrong with you, understanding that it's okay that something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody's broken, dog. Yeah. Everyone is broken to a certain extent. There's nobody out there that is 100% and that can tell you I'm perfect. My life was amazing. My parents raised me like this. Mm. If Britney Spears, who's a gazillionaire, is like as hurt as she is. Who are, who are you, bro? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the point is take your situation and dissect. Decide if that's what you want to apply to your kids. Mm-hmm. Decide if that's something that you are happy to unlearn mm-hmm. and learn better methods and processes so that you can have a happier upbringing with your kids. You know, you don't want your kids to look back when they are adults and you don't want them to say, Ooh, we, my parents used to do A, B, C, D, Y, T. I didn't like it. And mm-hmm. woo, 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 woo. This is your opportunity to get intentional about the methods that you use yeah. and how your children perceive even the concept of parenting. Yeah. They shouldn't, don't make it a scary thing for them where they're like, I'm never having kids. Why? Cause I was abused and I was this and I was that. Be a responsible parent, parent. be a present parent, be mm-hmm. a positive parent yeah. where you can hold your child's hand through everything that they go through without the judgment. Sure. What you're saying is so powerful because the truth is that one day your children are really going to see you for who you are. Exactly. And you kind of just want to at least do your best. Hey, Zama. Uh, <laughs> do your try. best so that when they look at who you really are, yeah. not mom, not dad, mm. 
but you mm. that they really are proud yeah. of the person that they see mm. and i think our children are not looking for perfection from us Mm-mm. you know they really just want us to do our best yeah i watched the show and they were asking um I think kids aged from around four to seven or eight, mm. and they were asking them, "When do you feel most loved mm. um, by your parents?" Yeah. And so I was expecting answers like, "When they buy me my favorite toy, mm. when they buy me sweets, sure. when we have McDonald's, you know, those type of very shallow type of answers." Yeah. And most of the kids say, "When mom and dad play with me, yeah, that is when I feel most loved. Connection yeah. is so yeah. important. Kids just want our attention, man. Right? They just want to spend time with us. They just want to get to know who we are as yeah. people. I think we overthink it so much we as do. well. Like my son's father would pop into his life like once a year. My son is like almost nine, so he's probably spent in total like a month." With his dad, like sure. over nine years. It's terrible and mm. it's affected him so, so badly. Much. But when his dad does come around, it's putting on this big show, taking him shopping, mm. wanting to take him to this and that. And I'm always like, dude, like it's not necessary. All he wants is to sit with you and have a conversation. He wants to know the kind of person you are mm-hmm. so that he knows what it is that you know, he can look up to, he, every, everybody wants a hero, yeah. especially kids. Yeah. And that's why the concept of superheroes works so well so with well. kids because we're putting this person there that you want to emulate and become and who better, you know, than your parents. Your parents. So they want to understand you as a, as a caregiver and as a person that essentially is going to guide them in life and just know who you are, how you respond to things. How do you deal with conflict? If you're having a bad day, what does that look like? Yeah. If you're having a great day, what does that look like? And kids see it all. Yeah. They see everything and we underestimate those little brains. We think, okay, we can just hide this from them. You're not hiding jackson from them. <laughs> Anything. They're watching every single thing yeah. that you do. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with my husband and I said, you know, babe, we could give Kumo the best education in the world. Um, he could be living in a mansion mm. and um, he has the latest shoes, mm. you know, the latest gadgets. But mm. that's not really what he's going to remember. Sure. What he's going to remember is whether or not he felt seen exactly. and heard. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, even when I read um, Michelle Obama's Becoming book, mm. she didn't grow up um, in a rich family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing that she always speaks about is how her and her family, they were so connected. Mm. So every night, her mom, her dad, brother, they would have dinner together. Mm. And um, her parents would just ask them questions about their, their day, day and yeah. things that interest them. Yeah. And today she's the former first lady of the United States of America. I mean, right? come on. And I think just having that connection and knowing that your parents care about you, mm. they care about the little things that interest you. Exactly. You know, um, if your child is interested in something silly like Legos, mm. for example, mm. show interest, exactly. pretend, at least pretend, at least try, act. Yeah. you know, <laughs> try to show some kind of interest because that on its own can be such a driving force in your child's life Definitely. in the things that they will do mm. and the things that they will achieve. Mm. And so one thing my husband and I discovered very earlier on is this thing 
um, where the older generation they like to say that yeah. like you are coddling, You're the, coddling child, the child, yeah. right? If the child cries, just let him, just let the baby sleep. Mm. They'll stop crying. Mm. And this is not to judge any parent who has done, for example, sleep training. Sure, um, sure. This is the cried out sleep training method. No, it's not. Mm. But what we discovered earlier on is that the more love, attention, and affection we give to him now, mm. the more independent he's going to be as an adult. Yes. So a lot of people think that if I just lock my child in a room and walk away or if my child wants me to pick them up and I don't pick them up, I tell them no, whatever, mm. that that's actually making them a stronger, more independent individual. But what you are doing is you are raising a, an, an, an adult that is needy, an adult whose needs were not met as mm. a child, mm. uh, an adult with um, dysfunctional attachment issues, issues yeah. you know? Yeah. So when we give our child the attention that he needs and the love and just the warmth that he that he needs right now mm. he grows up feeling secure mm. and and almost like more confident yeah he grows up feeling secure so he's going to become an adult who's not afraid to try things he's going to be mm. an adult who's not afraid to connect with people mm. you know he's going to mm. be an adult who's okay with failure doesn't sure. beat himself up when things don't really go right because yeah. you know what i can always wake up and try again failing is part of the process exactly look the bottom line is kids see what they do, mm-hmm. not what you tell them. So it's important for you to be on top of every little thing that you show your child yeah. and how you validate their feelings, how you respond to them sharing with you how they feel about something just so that they can make a better understanding of what that moment is because they are going to grow up to be the kind of adults that you want to be proud of and say, hey, that's my kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that. Yeah. You know, so... Sure. I mean, sadly, we've run out of time. I don't know. <laughs> this always happens to me. Like, I just get like so deep in the chats. I'm looking at all the questions that I was meant to ask you. Yeah. I asked you absolutely nothing <laughs> <laughs> that is written here. And Tepo, my producer, is going to kill me. But I think it's it, it's good that we can just have honest conversations because what's in your heart is ultimately what needs to be shared. And right. the people that are going to connect with you are going to connect with your story and they're going to use that as their inspiration to break out and be okay in their story and hopefully also do the same thing. We need more positive influences in life in general and we definitely need more positive parents Mm -hmm. who are proud to promote that and to stand on the roof and say, I'm an intentional parent and I'm cool with it. I'm a, I'm the kind of parent that's willing to unlearn certain things and I'm cool Cool with with it. You know, I'm the kind of parent that is, is, is happy to trial and and error Mm -hmm. and fail and try again. And, and then because this is a journey, there's no, I've clocked it. Mm -mm. It doesn't work like that. So, Palisa, thank you so much for coming to chill with us today and coming to chat with us. All the best for Set in Motion. What can we expect from Set in Motion um, in the next couple of months or years? Or what's the grand plan? Where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you? Uh, I know that you do a lot of Instagram lives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So how does the audience connect with you directly? So they can find me on Instagram at Set in Motion SA. 
Um, you can also find my personal Instagram page. It's Balesa Pake, the same with Facebook and LinkedIn. Okay. And over the next couple of months, I'm hoping to host my first workshop. Ooh, okay. So my first Stage in yes. Motion workshop. So I don't want it to be a typical come attend the event, listen to mm. someone speak, mm. and then we go home. There's nothing wrong with those type of events. Mm. But with Set in Motion, I do feel like it needs to be a bit more practical sure. and a bit more impactful. So I want my um, my guests to come and to really leave feeling empowered okay. to, to do the work that is necessary. And over the next couple of years, I'm actually hoping that Boundaries and Consent is going to be a um, curriculum within Amazing. our education system. Amazing. So that is something that my husband is also helping me out with mm. at the moment. Mm. And set in motion is not always going to be about consent and boundaries and protecting your child from sexual abuse. Mm. I love young people, like I said. Set in motion was supposed to be a youth development program yeah. to begin with. Yeah. So once I feel like we have solidified this um, specific um, topic, I do want to branch out okay. more into doing okay. other things related to that. Girl, it sounds like you've got a plan. It sounds <laughs> like you're going to stick to the plan and make it shake. And it just sounds like you know what it is that you're passionate about. It almost sounds like you know what your purpose is. You know, it's crazy. I think I think I've discovered my, my purpose. I went through so many years in my life um, just constantly keeping myself busy, trying mm. to figure out, like, why am I here, God? Mm. What is my purpose? Mm. And a couple of months ago, I told my husband that I feel that my purpose is philanthropy. Wow. I really feel like that is what I have been wow. called to do and be in this time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there are so many injustices that mm. all of us can contribute towards eradicating. Ish. And... Buena. I know for a lot of people, it's like everything's about money, which is fine. If your purpose is to become a billionaire in this lifetime, like Good that's what you. we need. We need, we need billionaires. We need people who are making mm. money. But for me, I feel like I've really just been called um, to work with young people. Good. Um, and like you said, what I went through, I think, has now worked out for my good because mm. I feel like... Mm. It has allowed me to also be able to empower other people. 100%. And it was actually the first time I actually openly spoke about my experience, like on a public platform. Yeah. So thank you so much. Of course. For, for so we do on Life with Laban. <laughs> well, this is literally like a place for healing. When, when I first started the show, Gareth Cliff was like, so what do you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to talk about my life, I guess. But I want people to come there and when they leave, they must feel like lighter. Yeah. After listening to an episode, you must feel like I've just learned something and I want to apply it. And I feel so good about myself better than I did before I listened to the show. Right. Whatever that is, however we do that, I'm just being guided by God. I'm being guided by my ancestors mm -hmm. to just speak through. Like my spirit is just, I'm just like a, a, a tool. I'm just a platform. Mm -hmm. What I really want is for the world to be a better place. Right. And all I'm going to do is do that in my little pocket of life with Lebang in the corner there and just hope that people's lives are changed and yeah. improved. It's not a little pocket. What you're doing is it's so important. And I pray that your platform continues to grow and reaches thank the you. right ears. Thank you. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for, for having yes, me. Yes, thank you for coming. <laughs> it's It's been real. It's been honest. It's been raw. And I love that. If you're at home listening and you have any comments or you want to ask any questions with regards to this topic, or if you just want to tell us your story 
and you've never been able to speak about it or maybe now you're finally feeling encouraged and you feel like you can you know let it out there you can even be anonymous it's fine i'm not going to put you on blast but send us an email at lifewithlebang at lebangkhosana.com or you can simply follow me lebangkhosana on facebook twitter instagram who knows we can actually create a whole podcast just based on your contributions because nobody's story is the wrong story there's no, no such thing as the wrong story so thank you so much for listening to life with lebang my name is lebang khosana this is cliff Center com and I will see you again same time same place next week love ya cliffcentral.com